Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us. Another Tuesday evening where we have the opportunity to talk the stuff of the great ancient Christian thinkers, those important figures that help us better understand our faith. You know, we have before us that call to live out uh, faithfully God's will in our lives. And so we ask that question, what does that mean? And so we turn to the church fathers and the great saints of church history past so as to better understand what that looks like and and to draw from their example. And so this evening, we turn to St. Maximus the Confessor, a most intriguing figure. And uh, it is Tuesday, so I will do this with John O'Hare. John, great to have you with me another evening. Thank you, Joe. Good to be here. So, John, St. Maximus the Confessor, do we call him St. Maximus the Confessor because he gave us some great treaty on the sacrament of confession? No. What we will discover this evening is that we call him St. Maximus the Confessor because he never shied away from the great confession of faith, that Jesus Christ is fully human and fully divine, true God and true man. Uh, And this is what lies at the heart of our faith. You know, it's interesting, we uh, are starting up a treatment of the Gospel of Mark because uh, we are in year B of our liturgical season, which has us going through the Gospel of Mark this whole year, and the single greatest theme that comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, John, is this reality of Christ being fully human, certainly we call the Gospel of Mark the Gospel of Touch, but also fully divine. No other gospel focuses in on this unity like Uh. that of Mark. One can say that the whole gospel kind of moves towards Mark 15, 38, when that centurion gives that great confession of faith, truly, truly, you are the Son of God. Uh, And so in many ways, we read St. Maximus the Confessor in light of Mark, because St. Maximus never shied away again in the face of great conflict and great danger from that great confession of faith that indeed Jesus Christ is a true God and true man. Now, all that being said, John, what more can we say about this this great man? Well, we could say a lot about this great man. (laughs) Uh, St. Maximus was born in 580 and died in 662, so he had a long life. He lived to be 82, and he died, in my opinion, a martyr Mm -hmm. at Mm -hmm. age 82. And you mentioned at the very beginning, these men uh, helped us kind of shape the Christianity we have today, and certainly they did. Uh, and I hope we can bring this out during the course of this talk, because St. Maximus the Confessor is not particularly well known, but no. he should be. Mm-hmm. Okay, he was born in Palestine. I guess he was a bright man because uh, as a youngster, he was brought to uh, Emperor Heraclius in Constantinople to be his secretary. And shortly thereafter, he left the secretaryship to go and become a monk at Chrysopolis. Uh, one of his uh, big early inspirations was St. Sophronius, who was also a monk at, mm-hmm. at the abbot at this monastery. And 
St. Basil became the abbot after him. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to bore our audience, but a couple of things need to be brought up. If we go down memory lane, the word Arianism has been mentioned on this show about a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> that is probably the biggest heresy the church faced until Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. And a couple of offshoots of this was a, a heresy called monophysitism and monothelitism. Now, monothelitism is what we'll concentrate on today, that Christ had one will, Mm -hmm. and that was the will of God. He had no human will. Jesus was both human and divine, but monothelitism said, no, he really only had a divine will. Now, there was as much politics involved in this as there was theology, Mm -hmm. but the emperors who resided in Constantinople tended towards Arianism and, in this case, monothelitism, and a big brouhaha was always going on in this area. One of our popes was Pope Honorius I. And uh, during a discussion of this, a instrument called the typos was circulated and said, this you cannot discuss publicly whether Christ had a human or divine will. He had a divine will only. And St. Honorius was under pressure, political pressure and regular pressure, and he signed a document which said, Typus was a pretty good document. Mm-hmm. Now, this gets us into trouble because was Honorius a heretic? He was excommunicated in 681. He ceased. He died as a pope around 638, I believe. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 40 years later, he was excommunicated by the uh, Council of Constantinople. And so here we have a pope who maybe was not infallible. And this mm-hmm. became a tricky issue in Vatican I when they discussed papal infallibility and they discussed Anarius, and they said he didn't speak definitively. He spoke, um, he really didn't try to preach this. Yeah, yeah. Now, just one last thing about Anarius. Anarius was otherwise a good pope. Gregory the Great ceased being pope in 604. He was about three popes later, and he was an excellent administrator, Anarius I was. The Vatican was in the black. He paid the Roman soldiers on time. He was very good about England and kept England close to the faith, and I may want to point out that England remained very close to the faith all the way through Italy, and of course France and Germany with their Holy Roman Emperor and the King of France and yeah. all of their, England remained, was the closest friend the Pope had up until Henry VIII. But anyway, Honorius had some good things to say about him, but he did sign this and so. Mm-hmm. Now getting back to Maximus, Maximus was caught up in this and he felt that monothelitism was not correct. And he got into a discussion with a public figure named Pyrrhus, P-Y-R-R-H-U-S, I think. Mm -hmm. And there was a debate in Rome. And Maximus so successfully defended the Orthodox teaching, Pyrrhus recanted and came to believe in this. Now, the debate was copied down, and it is published. And this is one of Maximus's papers. It may not be his most famous, but it's a good one. Mm -hmm. I'd like to point out that Maximus was not only able to go into apologetics, but he was also holy. He knew his apologetics. He was able to argue publicly, and he brought a lot of strong things to the table that is good for a Christian to be able to do and to be able to know. Now, he got into further trouble with, with the emperors of Constantinople. He was brought to Constantinople, tried, and sent to prison. And a bishop of Caesarea came to try to persuade him, and uh, he did not. He was in a rather difficult prison situation, little food, no clothes, it was cold, it was in Thrace in Greece. And um, so the Bishop of Caesarea wound up bringing him food and clothing at the end of their discussion. Well, he was rearrested, tried, 
and he was sent to a, a much worse place, and at one point his tongue was cut out, his right, his right hand, therefore he can't speak, he can't write, mm-hmm. and he died shortly thereafter, within about two weeks thereafter. I think he was martyred, actually, yeah. but he was just, I mean, this kind of reminds me of Unbroken, that movie. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, he was a, quite a guy. He is not on the liturgy of the Latin West, although he's certainly known, but in the East he, he does have a feast day. He, August 13th is the day that he died. Yeah, his tongue was mutilated, as was his right hand. Right. Some symbolic of those two things which are so necessary for him to do his work, as he was a great preacher and, and writer, one, one a great defender, and certainly one who, who penned uh, very important documents. Shortly after Pope Honorius came in, St. Martin, Pope St. Martin I, and he was Pope from 649 to 654, he got involved in this, and he mm-hmm. is the last Pope to be martyred. Mm-hmm. And he was martyred for this uh, monothelitism. He convoked the, the Lateran Council, uh, and against, of course, the imperial decree that uh, forbid any discussion on Christ's human will and Christ's divine will. And of course, I mean, it, it's most fascinating to me, John, that here you have an emperor declaring what is heresy and what is not heresy. <laughs> We're kind of detached from uh, this reality, but that's what was going on. That's what led to so many martyrdoms during the times that we speak and that we've been talking about over the last, you know, eight, nine months. John, I want to go back into uh, a number of things that you talked about. First of all, this, this whole question of, of human will, divine will. We must remember something about uh, St. Maximus the Confessor that was foundational to his understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. Certainly prayer, as you talked about, but also his reading of sacred scripture, which of course he saw as prayer. It could be said on one level, John, that St. Maximus the Confessor was as great as a biblical theologian as anyone since the time of origin. In Mm. fact, uh, St. Maximus studied feverishly uh, the works of Origen in Alexandria. Now, Origen was the first to treat sacred scripture and the reading of sacred scripture in light of the senses, reading scripture in the literal sense and spiritual sense. And when you read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old, we really get a true rendering of how John, God has worked in salvation history, how Christ truly is the fulfillment of the prophetic thrust of the Old Testament. Why is all of this important? Well, when you read sacred scripture, you read it in the literal sense and spiritual sense. The literal sense speaks to that historical context, speaks to the human element of Christ. When you are approaching sacred scripture in light of the spiritual sense, what you are doing is reading into the spiritual depth of the historical event. So in reading them together, John, uh, you can begin to appreciate the humanity and the divinity of Christ. This was very influential into the thought of St. Maximus the Confessor. You would never dream of reading sacred scripture, nor should we today, of course, outside of this great truth. Just as Jesus Christ is fully human and divine, so is sacred scripture fully human and divine. And when you spend time reading the biblical text in light of these two great senses, the literal sense, again, the historical Mm -hmm. context, the intention of the author, and the spiritual sense, the spiritual depth of that historical event, then you're on to something. And he, that is St. Maximus the Confessor, was so inebriated, intoxicated, we could say, with reading sacred scripture in light of this, he would never dream of denying 
<laughs> the humanity of Christ or the significance of the human will of Christ. It's interesting to note something. We have talked about typology a great deal. Typology is, is the study of how a person, place, or thing anticipated Christ, right, from the old to the new. The word typus, right, in the Greek means pattern, okay? What does history mean? History, that we talked about the first few weeks we were together, John history, historia in the Latin is pattern, right? So if we're going to understand the intelligible pattern to which God revealed the, the fullness of truth, we must read the old in light of the new. We must see how Christ is a new Adam. Why am I talking about all of this, John? Well, it brings us back to the human will and the divine will. St. Maximus said this, to understand the importance of being able to say no so as to appreciate what it means to say yes is to understand uh, the peak of Christianity in light of freedom. Yes. So he went back into sacred scripture, and in light of this uh, principle of typology, he says, let us go to the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? If you want to say Christ only had a divine will, then what do you do with Christ's yes in his humanity, in his human will? And typologically speaking, there's much insight to be gained when you begin to juxtapose Adam and Christ. There you had the first man, Adam, in a garden. He was silent. Contrast that with Christ, where he was in the garden, crying out to God the Father. Consider that the tree was the instrumental cause to the loss of grace. Here Christ takes that tree, puts it on his back, and now it becomes uh, an instrument to restore us into God's image and likeness. How about John the bride coming from the side of Adam? Does not the church in her sacramental identity flow from the side of Christ? The church is the bride of Christ. Huh? This is very important to appreciate what St. Maximus was after. In the old garden, there is a very loud no. <laughs> in the new garden, there is a very loud yes right? And St. Maximus the Confessor wanted us to see that Christ is a new Adam. And uh, first and foremost, he is new, uh, restoring what was old in light of his yes to the Father. Uh, Maximus went to Gethsemane because there we could get a sense of of the tension and, and the drama of what that yes was about. But you can only understand the drama and the tension of that yes in light of the no. This is why in Romans 5, verses 12 to 20, we have Paul talking about Christ being a new Adam, and that our image is restored in Christ in light of that yes. So this is very important, because I and I love this phrase that Benedict uses, reflecting with Maximus the Confessor here. He says, if we are left with just the divine will, then man is without a will. And ultimately, you have an amputated figure, an amputated man. Uh, So we are to see the importance of the unity of Christ's humanity and divinity, and specifically that he had a human will. (laughs) Specifically, he had the power to say no, because it is in light of that power of saying no that we can begin to appreciate the meaning of the yes, and that's what's so important. Yeah, Christ, you know, Christ came here for our salvation. And the fact that he had a human will 
is part of that salvation, and it means a lot to me. God could have brought us to salvation any way he wanted to. He could have clicked his fingers, mm -hmm. and it would have been done. He didn't Amen. do that. He didn't do it because he wanted to send his son down in human form to give us an example, and he did. And our will, I mean, the essence of being a human being is our will. Mm -hmm. Adam had a will, and uh, mentioned Adam may be the first modern man. He said no to God. He yeah. used his will. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <clears throat> that was the essence of Adam and Eve was their will. It's our essence, and it was Christ's essence as a man. Mm -hmm. Amen. And what's important for us to understand, as it was for St. Maximus, John, is that in this truth of Jesus Christ being fully human and fully divine, can we then understand our uh, vocation to love? And uh, he put it this way, that Christ becomes human so as to teach us how to be divine in saying yes in our humanity. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Ultimately, in baptism, we've been given the grace to share in God's very life, but we have to cooperate with yeah. that yes. So ultimately, the greatness of our yes is realized to the extent that we conform our human will, just like Jesus did, with the divine will of the Father. That's the key that unlocks St. Maximus, okay? If Christ had no human will, then how does he teach us how to unite the human will with the will yes. of the Father? Yeah. That's what is uh, quintessential to understanding St. Maximus the Confessor. And John, this all comes out of the way he was so entrenched in sacred scripture. Um, he was so steeped in sacred scripture uh, that out from that he saw the potency of Christ's humanity and Christ's divinity. He read sacred scripture in such a way where he saw the mystery of salvation working in and through his humanity as he conformed it to God's divinity. And it's the same for us. Yes, it is. That we are working out our salvation to the degree that we say yes to God. Because if we say no, <laughs> right? And this was very important for St. Maximus, and he says it specifically. We have the power to say no. And it is saying no that we understand the nature of freedom. To a degree, this Arianism is a little bit alive today, and I'm only about a little bit sure of this, but the Nicene Creed, written in 325, uh, has the filioque. Filios is a Latin word for son, que is a Latin word for and, tucked on uh, at the end. It says, now the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and there is a controversy over that at the mm -hmm. 12th century. Oh, Again, yes. this has to do a little bit with that. And I, I don't think there's a dispute between the East and the West on that particular issue, but there was. And so this, this thing did not die that easily. And I just am so grateful to people like St. Maximus because it, you know, it reminds me, our times are tough. I mean, all times are tough. His time was tough. And well thought out, well read, well lived life like St. Maximus did is an example for me today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, John, an example that was just unrelenting in his courage huh? in those last days of his life. He was not going to compromise the faith. It, it's such a beautiful thing to see in men like St. Maximus, and we've seen this before with others, St. Polycarp of Smyrna, St. Ignatius of Antioch come to mind, just this unwillingness to compromise because of their courage, because of that resolve that they had in Christ Jesus. Um, what an extraordinary example we do have, and one that we need to be thinking about today, John, as 
there are many stormy winds, if you will, many tempest winds that we could, we could so easily compromise that we look at a man like St. Maximus and say, because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he was willing to go to the cross. And so it is, we too, right? <laughs> because of our faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, we will go wherever God calls us to go. Amen to that. Okay. Maybe, John, with the remainder of our time, we can touch upon a few key points as they come to us from this work, Mystagogia, a word that speaks to going deeper into the sacramental mystery of Christ. What St. Maximus would have us see is the importance of the yes in light of the cross, huh? That uh, God is going to call us to say yes to things that seem insurmountable, that seem ultimately impossible but he wants us to see the other side of the cross, that ultimately behind the suffering, really echoing Peter, there is a great joy that awaits us, that before we know life, we must first know death. And Benedict XVI speaks to this, and he really speaks to the efficacy of our Lord's saving action there on the cross, and how we are to draw from the message of the cross, that ultimately in his humanity, he was willing, he was able to overcome because of his relationship with the Father, which had me thinking about something else, John, out from Maximus's uh, teachings. You know, St. Maximus also gets into the relationship between um, cosmos and creation, how Christ not only unifies man unto himself, but he also restores creation, that we are not only a new creation in Christ, but creation itself receives back its, its splendor and beauty. This had me going back to Genesis. You know, there's a fascinating truth that goes often overlooked, and it's simply this. There are two creation accounts, huh? That in the first creation account, we have God creating, huh? There in the Hebrew, God is Elohim. In the second creation account, we have God who is Father, huh? And the Hebrew there for God is Yahweh. This speaks of the harmonious covenant love. So in the first creation account, we have God who is creator. And in the second creation account, God who is father. Now, many people speculate theologically, what's the significance of the two creation accounts? I think the answer is found in the Elohim and Yahweh in many ways for this reason. Only to the extent that we are drawing from Yahweh, will we properly understand how we are called to create a civilization of love? Only to the extent that we draw from the in-God moment will our activity in what we do make sense. Remember, we are not human doings, but human beings. And out from being in God will what we do begin to make sense. As I recall, creation number two, from what I recall, it seems like man is like a, a, a clay statue and God goes down and breathes in an outcome, and he, he's alive. So mm-hmm. he, he does the act of breathing into man life. And that was quite good. In the first one, he creates man, and this was good. I mean, everything is good on mm-hmm. those first seven days. So, yeah, I mean, that, that yeah, the two accounts are, I, I don't recall them exactly the way I probably should, but I, they, they were very interesting. Yeah, and you know that breathing life into the in, into man, John is um, the Hebrew word. It's um, it's like a muzzle, uh, you know that kind of intimacy. 
Uh, you know, yeah. we, we, we put muzzles on dogs, so this might not be the best image for us today, but this is <laughs> what God did to man. It, he breathed life into man, the, you know, the, yeah. the, and this is, this is the, the, the breath of God, the, the, the wind of God, yeah. the, the life of God. Uh, the, the blessed are the poor in spirit, John. The, the Greek word is, is panuma, uh, where we get yeah. the word lung, right? The breath of God, the wind of God. So all of this is interconnected, if you will, and very important for us to understand, yes, the importance of the in God, in the Father, for other moments, how one forms and informs the other, but also, John, in light of St. Maximus the Confessor, uh, the importance of seeing Christ's human will as instrumental to the work of salvation 2,000 years ago, and how He is still working within us today, that we must conform our will to the, the will of, of the Father. Benedict talks about this in his talk on Maximus, that it is by that conforming that we are really the human beings. Mm-hmm. It is only in that. And, uh, and really, that, that's accurate. I mean, that's how important—I mean, we are our free will. And what we do with it in various things that come through our life day to day is what makes us holy or average or whatever. Mm-hmm. A- a- amen, amen. As John and I talk about being in the Father and then being able to better understand how to create a, a culture of love, uh, that creating is what we do, but it's not who we are. Yeah. Who we are flows out of that you know, taking in the breath of God. One time I was watching this TV show, 24, and a good guy was captured by bad guys. And they took out this electric drill and they were going to drill off his arm mm. or tell us the secret. Well, he told the secret. I think this was O'Brien's husband. Anyway, sure, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, here they are with St. Maximus the Confessor. You know, change or your tongue and your hand. Mm. I mean, the this takes love. Mm-hmm. It Think of the will it takes. Mm. The will, no, uh-uh. I am who I am, you know? <laughs> Here, his whole life, yeah. he writes about the importance of the no and the yes, and there it is right before him, Yeah. right? There's the challenge. Yep. Yes or no. And this is why we call him St. Maximus the Confessor, because there, in the conflict he looks into the eye of the storm and he says yes to Jesus Christ. I confess. Yeah. Yes, I confess that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, John, I think we're out of time. Good program. Always good to talk the stuff of these uh, great figures. And I hope that, you know, for our listening audience, John, that as we uh, talk about what makes each church father and, and each uh, saint that we talk about so great is something that we can apply to our life. And for us, you know, the lesson for us today is about better understanding that when Christ enters into human history, He wants to show us what it means to be fundamentally the best version of who God is calling us to be, which means we open ourselves up to the divine, because it is there where we realize the greatness of our potential. Amen. All right, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, 
as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.